0: are you juggling in your busy life? If you want a more joyful, productive, and fulfilling life, you need a system for managing all of those hats. I'm Scott Snow, and I'm your productivity coach and the host of the All the Hats We Wear podcast. You're meant to do great things. This podcast will teach you the skills you need to start doing them. Today's guest is an inspiration, a native Vermonter, Dr. Joanna Ross Hersey, is a performing artist and composer with 20 years of experience as a leader in higher education. She serves as Associate Dean of Student Success and Curriculum for the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. Beginning her career as principal tubist with the United States Coast Guard Band, Dr. Hersey performed throughout the country as a soloist and clinician after winning the position at the age of 19, Dr. Hersey performed at numerous state functions for visiting dignitaries and royalty and has appeared in uniform on The Today Show and Good Morning America. She has performed for three U.S. presidents. Dr. Hersey has released two solo albums, O'Quam Mirabilis and Zigzags, featuring music by diverse female composers in combination with her own works. She appears on five brass chamber music albums and performs as principal tubist with the Carolina Philharmonic. As a composer, her works have been chosen by the International Tuba Euphonium Association for their 2021 tuba and euphonium solo competitions. Her music has been premiered at the 2019 International Women's Brass Conference and the 2021 Northwest Horn Symposium please welcome Dr. Joanna Hersey.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: We had kind of a funny meetup here with uh, TikTok. We just uh, got to know each other a little bit with TikTok, and then uh, we have this interview here. So, you know, it was your positive energy. Uh, You shared a lot about your passions and your interests, and we'll get into all that, but it's been really fun. So how about if my audience gets to know you a little bit better? What are some of the different hats that you wear?
1: I do wear a lot of hats, (laughs) one of my favorite hats is military veteran and veterans advocate. As a woman, especially, and especially in higher ed, that's not something that people tend to assume when they first meet me. And I like that I can speak, especially for our female veterans that are in our student body at the university, but to be that voice and remind people that military vets look like all and come in all shapes and sizes. And so that as an advocate is, I think, one of the things that I think of first, If you ask me that question, I work at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke, which is part of the UNC system. And I love that job. This is my 16th year at UNC Pembroke. And I have been teaching in the music department until very recently last year. I do still work with the music students often. But this past year has been the first year where I donned a new hat that of associate dean for student success and curriculum in the college of arts and sciences which is a large college at the university everything from theater to zoology and and art and political science and all of that under one roof and so that's really been interesting because i've learned a huge amount in the last year, it's been one of the biggest years of growth I've had in a while, which has been really fun. So there's all those work hats. I play the tuba and I compose. And I'm the mom of an amazing 12 year old sixth grade son who I'm raising on my own. So the householder in me is a role in a hat that takes up a lot of time, which is good and can be a challenge sometimes.
0: That's amazing. You were in the Coast Guard, right?
1: I was. And that was my first job out of school. And when you're, you know, you might imagine if you're going to school and your major is tuba performance, that's a very specific amount of <laughs> that's a very specific goal set. And, and I was lucky because I went and I, I put myself in a place, which a lot of it was luck, but it was also designed to in my family's courage to put a young woman of 18 in a place where she could really grow and be ready for those opportunities. So, you know, shout out to my mom for letting me get on a plane in Burlington, Vermont, and get off a plane in Phoenix, Arizona. And she didn't know anybody in Arizona. But I went to school at at a time when we really were sort of in this old model of big gig or the highway. And Mm -hmm. today, I, I hope our students that might be listening can really feel that music business is vast and filled with ways to explore and create, and new categories have yet to be invented that are going to be standard in 10 years. And so now I hope that our students feel like there's many paths, but when I was 18, you were an orchestral tuba player, or you were a military band tuba player, and perhaps you could solo, you know, a little, but you must have to tour with the Canadian brass if you didn't do one of those other things. And so I really did feel a lot of pressure as a young student. And the world is more accepting now, I think, of different career paths, which is something that your podcast is showing people that that arts is wide, which it really is.
0: People used to just think that uh, you were probably going to starve, right, if you went into music <laughs> full time.
1: Right, especially in performance. and And I do have performance degrees, so I feel like I can say that it's probably not something that I would advise for a huge amount of students today it'd be nicer to be a little more well-rounded. And I have taught my entire life. So it would have been good if I'd had a course or two. <laughs> be that as it may, Yeah, this this sense that we can do more things. And that's, that's another thing that I often speak about, especially being a woman who plays the tuba, is this sense that the hierarchy, especially in classical music, but it's present in lots of different types of, of genres, the hierarchy, we can get rid of that Where orchestral tuba player might be at the top, and then something like Dixieland Band might be at the bottom, and in that old sense of, you know, what you need to do to be a success. And now I think you get to define your own success.
0: I remember seeing the uh, U.S. Coast Guard Concert Band, I guess, or Wind Ensemble at the Midwest Conference in Chicago. Yeah, probably around ninety six. Oh, that
1: might have been me. Isn't that wow. funny? Yeah, they rotate. Of course, the service bands share that and they yep. rotate through. So each year it would be a different one. Yes. And I was probably there, Scott. i <laughs> probably mm. the The tuba euphonium quartet, the, the, all the military bands have small chamber ensembles, of course, from you know flutes and, and clarinet quintets and all the rest. But we had a tuba euphonium quartet. That was one of the joys of my time there. And we also played at Midwest one of those years that I was there. I think I might have done two of
0: them. There's nothing like going to Midwest and you, like you're, you almost become numb to it a lot. Like, okay, here's the Coast Guard Band. Now here is you know, Eastman Wind Ensemble. And right, you just... the
1: big, Yeah,
0: yeah it's, it's amazing. amazing. And
1: it's funny you say that because I noticed a social media post from someone who had had a negative experience. And I, I found that very interesting because it made me think of it from a different view, how it might feel to somebody who maybe felt a little on the outside of that world I think that might've been this person's feeling that they they went and they expected whatever they expected and it came more negatively. And it, it is a little scary, it's big. And so I, th- I found that very interesting and I wondered what we could do to keep that from happening to our events that somebody maybe just wasn't welcomed at the right time in the right way to make it a good experience for them.
0: Yeah, I've never heard of a negative experience at Midwest for sure.
1: And I think that's why it struck me. And I've always found such great energy, both conferences, symposiums, all of that. That's how, you know, Pembroke, North Carolina is an amazing place, but many of your listeners will not have heard of it before. And it's in the middle of cornfields and it's very lovely, but it's quite rural. And if I didn't go out and do things like Midwest or the International Tuba Conference and other events like that, I think I wouldn't have felt as much joy in my career as I have done. So to me, that's a necessary part of, us collaborating with each other. That's our community. And sometimes we have to go a little bit to find our community.
0: Well, I see on your TikTok channel that you're always going on a road trip, you know, to a UNT or (laughs) (laughs) Ithaca. You know, that's the beauty of having a social media account where you add so much. Uh, You can just as an interviewer, you know, just scroll through and really get to know a lot about you so I can uh, have some pertinent questions. That's some
1: fodder. And it's funny because TikTok was one of the things that I had not had the courage to dive into when it was coming up, and I had a pretty good Instagram following, and of course, some the other older ones, and and I kind of felt, well, do I really need this? And I had decided that if I was really chicken about it, it probably meant I better do it. I decided that if I would, when I was interviewing for this position in the dean's office, which is a major step up from being faculty, both mind-wise and, you know, change-wise, and I thought, well, if I get that job, I'll, I'll have TikTok as kind of my new stage as part of the change. And and that's what happened. And so, all right, I've got, I've got to do it now. And so I, I really enjoyed it a lot. And I counted up, I got, you know, uh, a hundred or more videos in that first year. And, and I kind of got my feet under me a little bit.
0: You know, I've been surprised because I focus mostly on productivity stuff and you would think time management, you know, project management would be a big bore for, you know, teenagers, but I have plenty of like skateboarder dudes that are like, you know, uh, concerned about life purpose and goal setting. And I find that to be really interesting.
1: Is true, isn't it? And I do some mentoring sometimes. And even the younger women who have, you know, that it's some often women that I'm mentoring, they don't yet have children or or they're still in their early 20s and may not have some of the hassles that us older folks have, but they're very interested. And those are always questions I get. And we use this term work-life balance often, which I... I don't love that term, but there's not another term to use to talk about that. And we all know what that means when we, you know, how do you do, but I find it very heartening that, that these young folks are looking ahead to that kind of, you know, how are you going to do, like maybe life feels easier now, but, you know, looking at you and thinking, you know, how do you do what you do in your position in life and what's on your bulletin board in front of your desk and, you know, what does your journal look like? And all those kinds of things that you talk about on this podcast, this sense of how we're managing and which, while it is different for everybody, there are common themes I bet you find over the course of talking to all your different guests that would really be beneficial.
0: Yes. Well, and what I love too, is that you're kind of reaching them when they're ready to receive like a little message. Maybe they're just quietly just sitting, you know, in their bedroom before going to sleep and they're you kind of got you've got a wrapped audience like for that little message where probably you wouldn't if you're at school or in the usual way.
1: And there is a lot coming at our young people as far as information and and some of it might be a little less professional or helpful. And I think maybe when I was starting out there wasn't enough, and <laughs> so I would have loved to have had somebody that would have helped me. I think many of us have learned it along the way. And we've hmm. read the books and we've also listened to podcasts and we still listen to podcasts and and kind of find out how each other are managing. How are we doing this? It it's, <laughs> can be busy, especially in music, and any kind of a performance field, anything where you have to maintain a certain set of standards physically, you know, like dance and theater and any other kinds of things. And then that it takes courage to do this idea that you got to do it scared, right? Which is a, a common thing we talk about in, in performance the sense that you you it's also scary you would just never do anything so you just have to it's like me making tiktoks well okay well all right
0: <laughs> yeah so getting used to going out there and performing even though you you've got the uh, butterflies but you just make that like a natural just you expect that and that's a part of it right
1: right it's interesting because i have this, my son is interested in art. And I said, you know, maybe it's time we got you some art lessons or, or sketch lessons, you know, would you like to meet with a teacher who might help? And, and he said, no, I, I don't want anybody criticizing my, <laughs> that's such a common response. I think most of my college students would have said it the same way. And, but, but I kind of said, oh, you know, they're never going to do that. It's just going to feel like they're helping. And, and so I, but I thought that was such an interesting gut level response from him that, you know, no, I don't want to <laughs> have growth. Growth is hard, and people challenge you. And man, <laughs> it sure is. So I can certainly understand why he doesn't want to have that.
0: I know you had some posts that um, inspired me about your morning fundamental routine and how it sets you up for the day and how you yeah. get that stuff. So I would love to hear your thoughts on just you know the value of practice in in the um, you know, a lot of people, I think, believe that when you're a great musician like it's just all fun and it's beautiful to sit yes. down and play and you're you're just you know doing amazing but uh, you know what's the other side and and what is the advantage for having that daily practice and digging in
1: for sure and i think my students sometimes feel that there's just a difference between all of the professional musicians and them that all of the professional musicians it just comes out automatically as you say without any sense of and they don't see behind the scenes And of course, we talk about that all the time, but I really do want to only play performances where I'm pretty okay with how I sound. Yeah, I don't I don't want to be coasting or fumbling or freaked out. And so that means I do need to do a daily routine. And I've always been everybody's different, but I've always been somebody that I was taught all those years ago do these exercises, you're going to do them different tempos and you might put them in different orders and, you know, you might leave some out. Or sometimes I do like mouthpiece buzzing, for example. I always do mouthpiece buzzing, but sometimes I'll do it for a long time. Today, this morning, I did it for more of a shorter time. Sometimes I'll buzz along with videos. Sometimes I'll just sit at the piano and sometimes I'll just do a little toot toot and get right on with it. And so it all feels different every day, but I am doing the same types of things. My, my message to the students would be that you want to make sure that you're going to do this routine that a warms you up and i get up and i do mine in the morning so that by the time i leave for work it could be done for the day like today is a good example we're recording this in the evening i probably won't practice again after this but i did a good 35 minute session this morning so i feel like that is enough for today And I don't have any concerts this weekend, so I'm able to practice and maintain this weekend. I like that sense that I'm covering all the bases, high range, low range, flexibility, slurring, tonguing, major, minor scales, arpeggios, all of those different types of things that would be common to all of us who are in the musical field. Like all the different stretches that dancers and performers would do before they're going to go ahead into rehearsal. And then I know that I'm okay. And I'm set and I'm going to maintain my level. And then if somebody throw, if you said to me, here's a new tuba concerto, you're going to perform in a month that I would need to have some extra practice time on top of that routine right. to learn this new concerto. And because my job in the dean's office is new, I wanted to kind of make sure that I went into it with a real sense of my you know, my wits about me, my foundation and my routine, and I didn't throw it all out the window. I I used to practice every morning and (laughs) I still practice every morning. And I find it comforts me. Like I feel proud now that it's already done. And that was smart of me because by the time you and I are done talking it might, you know, a little bit later, I, I think that for me, I need to know that I'm okay that way. And then when I go, I have orchestra next week. So we're playing all kinds of fun stuff. And I know that I'll be okay next week and I'm not worried about it.
0: You're reminding me of, uh, there's a guy I work with who's really into working out. And like as serious as, you know, like you are with practicing with with music, he's that way about working out every day. You know, he calls it his hour for just for himself. Yeah. So, but what what made me start thinking about it? Because I don't really play, I'm a percussionist. Um, but I play some guitar. I'm a music therapist at a psychiatric hospital. Oh, so yeah, I have to do I'm some so basic, wonderful. yeah, I have to do basic guitar stuff, but the drums is my main instrument, but I really don't practice anymore unless I have like a musical and then I'll just, you know, right. practice right before, yeah. but I don't. So anyway, with him, if he missed a day, like he would just feel awful. And I probably the same thing. Like if you miss a day practicing, you really notice it. But yeah. what my takeaway was that when you don't do any of that stuff to begin with, you don't realize the difference in how good it feels to be yeah. practiced, to be on it. So it was sort of like a wake up call to me, like, I'm not, I'm not working out, you know, every day, but I don't feel anything different. But if yeah, you know what I'm, absolutely. you know what
1: I'm trying to say? <laughs> absolutely. And then we can come in and out of that. You know, there's lots of people that practiced that way, in an earlier time in their life, and then, you know, once parenting comes along and more responsibilities at their work, that's something that changes, and there's nothing wrong with that. For me, and and this is a little bit maybe off off of topic, but, but maybe not, when you fit what people's expectations are, there's a lot of leeway. When you don't match what people expect for what you do, you can't bad (laughs) so i don't fit the stereotype of like the tuba players you know just come in you know i i if it was me that walked through the door it wouldn't be people would be surprised sometimes that i was the tuba player and and because i don't fit that tuba player stereotype i need to be always as good as i can I, i need to anybody who doesn't fit the expectation for you know gender or racial reasons anything that's unexpected or maybe that would have a bias associated with it. We can't take all that many days off. I certainly do take a day off every now and then. <laughs> but I log on my practice and that's how I keep myself accountable. So I, I stare at that day off and I know why if I don't do it.
0: <laughs> well, I remember even in fourth grade, starting the drums that I was very proud about that little practice grid sheet that I had to get that's a signature right. for every week, 20 yeah, minutes, 20. Right? It really was. Yeah. I think people sometimes
1: feel that's like, a, you know, a terrible thing, but I I find it so freeing because I'm so proud.
0: We just had New Year's Eve and I loved one of your posts about goal setting for the new year. So what is your process? I know you had your cup of coffee out and you had your you know what what's involved with you to come up with the yeah. goals and the vision for the new year?
1: And I actually really goal set and, and this is maybe a little bit of a shift from my past. I always goal-setted majorly the first week of August because I'm an educator and that's what the start of the year is, right? Our school, we we tend to always start around August, mid 12, 15, something like that. So for me, Margie Mann was going and we were all in in the music building. And that was when I really sat down and, and kind of made my new goals. But then New Year's Eve is fun and you see all of these sort of pros and cons of, of New Year's Eve posting. And I agree with those, the the sense that, you know, don't just do it then because you think you're supposed to and then it kind of gives you a permission to let it go. It sometimes we we don't hold to our things. Uh, we should be doing it all the time. And and like our CVs and our resumes, we should be looking at them every time something changes and we wanna we wanna do something new. We should be reevaluating. I write my CV a little bit over again every single time I send it out. And the same with my bio. Depending on what it's for, I just kind of go in and check is this who I am in this in this hat. And so, especially with um, my associate dean position being brand new, that started January 1st last year. So before that, I, I really had a goal setting moment. And, And then this year, it was kind of, you know, reinstating some of that. And, and I think that for me, I want to make sure I won't look in the mirror, and feel that I didn't do what I should have done. That I, I want to feel at the end of the day, at the following New Year's Eve, that I was proud of what I did and that I didn't waste an opportunity or chicken out of something. And many of us in this field, in performing arts and, and in, in this, this kind of life, tend to be somewhat perfectionist and we tend to take things very seriously i'm certainly like this and think very carefully and want to do everything perfectly i'm definitely that person and and sometimes that can freeze you a little bit with with my goal setting i like re- really wanted to make sure that i was open to change and i was writing things like you know listen and learn and be open to change and just roll with it and try not to let new things Feel stressful. It was all sort of very positive. Whereas, I know, you know, as a teacher, I know that people divide into two camps. There's that perfectionist crowd, like I was when I was 18, and then there's the group that needs to kind of be prodded a little bit, and they're too relaxed. <laughs> they're, 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 they got all those things about not perfection. They're, they're like already doing that part, so they need a little more perfection. And so, when you're teaching, you kind of got to figure out who's who and and do do that a little bit differently. But I do journal. And I've journaled ever since I was, well, probably high school, but definitely when I went away to college, I was given a journal. And so the first entry of it is, you know, here I am about to go away to college. and, And it's neat. I've always felt it was fun that, like, as I started that professional tuba journey that that journal started. And so I journaled all through you know, sometimes there's breaks, but I do the goal setting for the next year in the journal. And I really try to think about all of that, you know, as your podcast often talks about the different types of us, there are the different roles we have in the hats are things to do with our personal life and our career. And sometimes my focus is a little more on career. And I tend to feel a little un done when it comes to things around the household. So one of my recent goals in the last few years, especially since COVID really brought this all home to us a a little bit more, is that I was finding real stress in my household tasks, because I'm running in the household on my own. And that's hard. And I've really tried to embrace the household tasks. And okay, so you need a new roof. All right, that's fine. Here's how you're gonna, you know, just trying to understand that that is part of who I am. And not to resent it or, or feel so stressed, but so some of the goals that I made for this coming year were, were to really find some things in the household role that I have to embrace and feel positive about. I'm very grateful and lucky to be a householder and to have those opportunities to be stressed about a new roof.
0: (laughs) You're a vegan and uh, you've posted a lot about that. And also you advocate a lot of, you know, more plants, eating very healthy and preparing your meals. And I'm fascinated with all of that. So how did that to start? Did you make a big switch at some point?
1: Yeah, I had been a vegetarian through a lot of my 20s. And that came, which is a long time ago. (laughs) And that came from listening to, because remember back before the web was so common, there wasn't as easy a way to see some of the things that we see very easily now. Oh, it took me listening to an NPR report on chicken farming before I really understood what was happening in the chicken industry. And I'm not an activist by any stretch, but that made me become a vegetarian during my 20s. And I happily went along as a vegetarian just fine. And then when I got, it was really getting tenure. So I'm here in North Carolina, you know, it's, it's tricky and I'm a Northern lady and so... <laughs> My tenure and, and, you know, my my process going through the promotion and tenure was a little stressful and rocky. And certainly I didn't put my health first. And like many of us, I, I kind of let that get to me. I wasn't exercising and I wasn't watching as much what I ate. And of course, I'd had a baby during that time. So I decided once I was given tenure and promotion, I'm over that line that was, you know, super wonderful, that I was going to take myself in hand and go vegan. And it's funny when I look back on it, because I thought, you know, it's this horrible thing. And I'm going to do it for like two months, drop 20 pounds, and then, you know, forget about it. And I really loved it. I ended up following all these great different cooks and things on Twitter and trying to figure out what to eat and how to do it. And I love to cook. And I grew up in a household where things were homemade. And my grandmother was an amazing cook. And she taught. I worked all through high school under this amazing Swiss chef at a restaurant on a ski mountain in the middle of nowhere in Vermont, where I grew up. Where he was making these fantastic european classic dishes chateaubriand right all of that and i worked from 14 through college in his kitchen washing dishes moving up through the prep cook stages making all the things desserts and so he taught me a ton Fritz. Thank you. He's was, um, an amazing mentor. And so I really do feel at home in the kitchen. And I, I found it a challenge to figure out how to veganize something like a blueberry muffin or, or whatever I wanted to eat. I live in a town where there isn't anything to eat that's vegan. And so that necess- that's part of my householder stress. <laughs> can't just grab something on the way home and so so it I I have to meal plan and and food batch and everything but that that's okay because I'm also a a skin flint Vermonter and I can save money doing that so that's another little satisfying thing but yes so the vegan thing I did think it would be somewhat short-lived but having been vegetarian that's not a big jump it really was the cheese and I had I was eating some fish I was eating sushi and things like that often And so I went cold turkey on all of it, and I cooked up a storm, and I watched Forks Over Knives, and and I got all inspired, and I haven't looked back, and I just had my 10th vegan Thanksgiving, Mm. and I try not to have a soapbox, and my son, I don't require that he is vegan, and I cook him meat occasionally, and I do want him to understand that it's a choice, but I I secretly want him to do it when he's an adult, and I know if I force it on him now, that will never happen. (laughs) He has his choice.
0: Right. You probably, in an alternate universe, you probably could have just as easily gone into being a, a big chef, it right? It was. With- it
1: was one of the choices. And I really thought long and hard because, of course, I was doing the tuba all through high school. And I knew that that was where I was going. But but Fritz was showing me this other, in New England has great culinary schools. And you know there have been all kinds of great. And I really did. That would have been what I did if I hadn't played tuba, for sure.
0: You know what I find myself fascinated with your TikTok as well is that is your fascination and passion for history, wow. like the historic Brass Society. And yes, I just, I'm not exactly sure why, but I think that embracing of the historic part is there's a richness to that that is attractive. Yeah, I wonder why, why do you think, you know, and I see a lot of your TikTok videos will have, you know, Louis, Louis Armstrong or Ella Fitzgerald. And so what is it yes. about that that older well, stuff that you like?
1: One of the, th- this I think the answer is when I, First joined the Coast Guard. I was doing my undergraduate music degree. I actually won the audition before I was done, which was lovely. I went and enlisted and played at the Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut. However, I wasn't done my degree. And so I needed to finish. And of course, Yale is nearby. UConn is there. And so I went to UConn to try to finish my music undergraduate. But it was a little difficult because their classes were during the day, of course, and I was enlisted. So I was all day active duty. And it turned out that because this is the 90s, right? In the 90s, gender studies programs were new. And they were all at night because it was sort of considered a secondary thing, like you might teach in the sociology program during the regular day, and then you would teach the women in poverty class at night or something like that. So I ended up flipping and getting a degree in gender and sexuality studies from UConn during my time in active duty, because I knew I wanted to go on and do a master's in tuba and then a doctorate in tuba, which is what happened. And I kind of felt like, well, I I just need to get this undergraduate degree finished. So I did the gender studies degree, just as a means to an end thinking these classes are all at seven o'clock at night, <laughs> you know, was right. And and they were, it was wonderful. And they were very fabulous. And I loved it. And I think that is when I really because the class is like the Emily Dickinson thing that I read for the New Year's Eve, TikTok. I took a whole class on Emily Dickinson from this amazing woman, and she made her come alive for us and that is they instilled in me that passion because when you study gender and sexuality what are you studying you're studying the history of how women and and men have treated each other and been treated and how race plays into that and what changes were made in society over time and how that changed gender and race and how class plays into that and so you're looking at history and i just loved it it's colored the whole way i see and work with the world and the nonprofit work that i do today so it's it's really, you know, uh, that's probably why I I remain in higher ed. That was a really good experience.
0: I think it's easy to forget how um, powerful relationships or like an experience with a great teacher that's passionate about it can shape the students, you know, like, like you were saying that you were, I was a similar way in uh, UMass. I was more like the, the um, music ed and, and doing, you know, percussion, classical percussion, but when I started hanging out with all the jazzers, you know, the the grad students, and they were yeah. so into it. They were just, they weren't just saying they got to learn, you know, Bach or Beethoven. They were like really into Coltrane. Okay. Well, I can see that you bring your creativity and your passion that you have in music to all these other different areas.
1: I think it's just part of who we are as performers, <laughs> right? We're looking for ways to to be creative. And that's what I like about TikTok. And, and that's what I like about vegan cooking. And it's this sense that we have this this desire inside us to contribute to the landscape in some way and and to participate in the world around us in that way that creates
0: it seems obvious that musicians that are really serious you know they have a lot of passion you know music becomes a real love of their life but i wonder what advice when someone doesn't have music or art that they can really dig in and they want to have something to be really passionate and have that purpose what advice do you have for someone that doesn't do that? How can they discover that purpose? Do you have any insight on that?
1: Well, I think we need to widen our view of what we mean when we say creating, right? Or or this this sense of creatives. That's, that's a thing on TikTok, right? Creatives, this and that. And we can all be creatives. And maybe you're doing it in your kitchen or in your garden or in your way that you're teaching your children and the way you organize your household and the colors that you use and and the environment around us and how if you work with young people in scouting or anything that you might be doing there's a way to feel creative that's really just using what's around you to improvise new and interesting things on the spot and i think we can all find places to do that more
0: Hmm. where can people go to find out more information about you and what you do
1: I have a website, which we can link to in the show notes, JoannaHersey.com, and I have a presence on YouTube with mostly shorts these days, but some tutorials and things during the pandemic, we were all making tutorials madly. And every now and then I do a new performance and I've got some concerts and performances coming up later this year that will be live streamed and that I'll throw the links to on YouTube and then all the social media, including TikTok, where you and I met where I'm a newbie. But I'm getting the lay of the land there. So also you can visit UNC Pembroke's website and see what we have to offer there in the wonderful educational world.
0: Well, Joanna, this has been a great treat. I think my audience is going to get a lot out of this, you know, with creativity and just your passion, you know, that just comes right through. So I really appreciate you being on the show.
1: Thank you. It was just a joy to chat with you, Scott. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Hopefully you've learned something to help you become more joyful, productive, and fulfilled. So let's keep that momentum going. Text or email me to schedule a free consult call to get you moving in the right direction. By the end of this session, you'll have a complete list of all the hats that you wear and we'll probably uncover a few important hats that you should be wearing, but you're not. You're meant to do great things. Contact me to take the first step. Text 7742303928 or email me Scott Snow1234 at gmail.com. Do it now.